Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. In our study of Matthew, looking at the, um, focusing on the Messiah, we have gotten into the part where um, it's classically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember going into this, we looked at the, the first primary statement that Jesus had made um, in the beginning of his ministry, and that is repent, metanoia, change the way you think, because the kingdom of the heavens is at hand, or is, has drawn near. And so, in this sermon, um, which is probably he gave numerous times, he is teaching a kingdom standard, which basically is different than the standard of the world. Basically, he is teaching the people how to think differently. And so, David began with the Beatitudes, back in chapter 5, showing that, again, how the world thinks and how the kingdom thought processes are, are totally different. You know, Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. The world wouldn't think persecution was kind of a blessed thing at all. And so he goes on and says, and if you have these, then, these blessed thoughts, if you think with kingdom thoughts, then you will be like salt in the world, you will be like lights in the world, you will be like a city whose light cannot be hid because you are so different. You are up front where everybody can see you, and it's going to be that way. And then he continued on um, with that discussion of you heard it said, because he said he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. And he said, and he told him, unless your uh, righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he goes on, he says, so you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I say unto you, if you call your brother empty-headed, you have what? Murdered them. And he goes on and he's, high, he's intensifying, if you would, the law. And he says to them at the very end, chapter 5, what we call as chapter 5 um, of Matthew's writing, Jesus makes the statement in the middle of this sermon, he says that King James says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But we saw, as it is in the New King James, it's really a statement. It's not a command. You shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so, though you cannot attain perfection in and of yourself, even though you'll never be able to surpass, quote-unquote, the righteousness of the Pharisees in and of yourself, you will surpass their righteousness when you follow the kingdom way. Okay, now I'm inserting that right now. Okay? Because again, remember, he's telling them to change the way they think. So if you are seeking to attain your righteousness in the way the world thinks, you will always what? You always fail. But if you start to have the kingdom process, the kingdom thought process, and we know that Jesus then, in the, in the culmination of his ministry, gave his life for us as the sacrifice. So that if you come by faith to him, then you attain not your own righteousness, not the righteousness of the Pharisees, but actually what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are given whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. That's exactly right. Which far exceeds. And so you will then, in a sense, judicially speaking first, remember we talked about that, you will be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not practically speaking, but judicially speaking, that God declares you righteous. Not because you are, but because 
he is. And then we continued on then in, in the teaching where Jesus then goes into talking about how it's a definitive standard. We talked about it being a different standard. It's a higher standard. And we talked about it being a definitive standard in the fact that there is no middle ground. You're either, he's going to show then in chapter 6, you're either serving God or you're serving the world. There, you, you have to change the way you think. Quit thinking like the world. And you can't do both. You're going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. You're going to love one, you're going to love the other. And so if you're praying so everybody can see you, then you're thinking like the, the world. Because you want the praise from the world. But if you're praying in your closet and you're really praying having a relationship with your father, then it's all about God. If you're fasting in a way that everybody knows you're fasting, then you're doing it for the glory of man. You're thinking like the, the world. If then you are giving, and then he goes on into your giving and where your treasures are, if you're focusing only on the treasures of this earth, you're thinking like the world. But rather, if you have a kingdom mindset, then you recognize the fact that this world is what? It's passing away. Everything in the world. And so, I didn't share it then, but you know the classic line, and that is, you never saw a U-Haul traveling behind the hearse, Right? I mean, it just it doesn't happen that way. And so the reality is, it is appointed unto men once to, once to die. After that, the judgment. We're each going to pass through the portal of death if Jesus doesn't come before that. And what are you going to take with you? Your stocks? Absolutely nothing. That's exactly right. You're not taking your stocks. You're not taking your bonds. You're not taking your mutual funds. You're not taking your house. You're not taking your boats. You're not taking your, cow, your cows. You're not taking your cars. You're not taking anything with you. You're going to go stand before the Lord. And so you have to decide who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the things that money buys? That's mammon. You can't serve both. And what did he say there? How many people can do it? No one. No one can serve two masters. No one can do it. There's no middle ground. And so as Joshua told the people of Israel as they were going into the promised land, he said, Choose today whom you're going to serve. If it seems wrong for you to serve Yahweh, then, then choose a God. Because you're going to what? You're going to serve somebody. That's what Romans 6 is all about. You're going to serve somebody. You are, the, you are the slave to whom you choose to offer yourself as a slave to obey. So Joshua says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. If choosing Yahweh, if serving Yahweh seems too burdensome for you, then choose your God. And then what? And then serve them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But there's no middle ground. That's what Joshua is saying. That's what Jesus said. Jesus' name is really what? Joshua. Kind of fun. Okay, Yeshua. That's Joshua's name, Yeshua. And so, so the, the second Yeshua, if you would, then that claims the same, makes the same statement, okay? And, and today we're going to slide into this then the next phase of this, where we've been talking about this practical standard, and last week we looked at it being a practical standard from the point of view of looking at our, um, um, let me go on to the next one here, our insights, okay? And we talked about our opinions. It says, judge not lest you be what? Judged. And so a lot of times we like to, we, we don't like that phrase so much, but it's talking about our insights, you know, because the reality is we think that we what? We have some good insight on this thing, and people need to hear what we are thinking. And so this whole section is an application then of this concept of changing the way you think, looking at having this higher standard. And so um, in it, there is the concept of discernment. Discernment is the ability to judge 
well, which is very important, okay? Because right off the bat, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. But then he goes on to say, anybody remember? First what? No, okay, yeah, yeah. So he talked about that, but so that's all the negative side. Don't judge, right? But then what does he tell us to do? Extract the beam out of your own eye. Deal with your own problem. Get rid of your own problems, and then what? Then you'll be able to see clearly to help somebody else. So he's not saying, don't be involved in somebody's life. But what he's saying is, before you worry about somebody else's problems, worry about your own. Because you what? Because you have them. You have problems. You have issues too. So, to be honest before the Lord and to seek what your problems are. And if you have any problems trying to find out what your problems are or how you can assist your brother, then what does he tell us to do? Ask. Seek. Knock. Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. It has nothing to do with name it and claim it. It has everything to do with asking God to help you eradicate your own problems and to be of a blessing in the life of somebody else. And so he summarized that whole statement by, and so whatever things you would have people do unto you, you do unto them. We call that the golden rule. Okay? It's amazing how the, the world knows the golden rule. You know? It's always amazing to me how many times the, the world can quote things and they have no idea where it's coming from. Some of you heard me share that in the past about when I was in J.C. Penney years ago, the guy had shared... Um, I, from a distance, I heard it. Marsha and I were looking at suits. And from, from, I hear, yeah, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I went, whoa. Wow, I, there's a, another believer here, you know? And so, you know, it just pricked my ears. You know, and and, and I, I go over, and I find a guy who says, hey, that's pretty cool. I said, you know where I come from? He says, what? I said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he looked at me and went, Plato? <laughs> and I said, no. He says, Socrates. And I start chuckling. I said, no! And he says, well, then who? Wise guy, you know. <laughs> That's what he's thinking about me, right? And I said, Jesus. That's from John chapter 8. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my words, then you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <laughs> and he turned around and walked away. He didn't want to know the truth. He was quoting it. But he didn't care where it came from. It wasn't helping him change the way he what? Thought. Say again? Yeah, he didn't want to know his truth. That's exactly right. He he wanted to know his own truth. And he wanted to be the espouter of his own truth. And we've got to be careful of that. That's the whole idea of judge not lest you be judged. It's not about my own insights. We're supposed to, as a body, provoke one another to what? Love and good works. How do we do that? With the word of God, not the word of Bob. Okay? So, Jesus continues on in this, this um, idea then of having, encouraging us to be discerning, if you would, having discernment regarding our paths. Okay? Now, this is going to follow f- straight on in. Remember, because again, that's the reason I went through this review, you can't serve what? Two masters. You can't go two ways. You've got to think like the world and travel the path of the world or you're going to think like God and you're going to travel the path of God. You cannot keep going down two paths. Have you ever been going through the woods and you get to a fork? 
How many of you can travel both forks at the same time? You can't do it, right? I saw a picture of Matt. He was, he's, there's a, a, a national disc golf tournament going on. Um, and, and so he's, my oldest son, for those who don't know, is a, a professional disc golfer. He made 15 bucks once. Anyways, so, um, anyways, whatever. So he's playing in this big national tournament. There's some really big names, international disc golfers in town. It's really kind of cool. I'll tell you their names, but you wouldn't know them. Anyways, um, but it's kind of cool from my perspective. I've, I've kind of followed it a little because my son's involved in this. And, uh, but he has a picture of himself doing this massive split, trying to take a shot, you know. And anyways, it's exactly, that's exactly, that's how we look sometimes. It was pretty awkward looking, you know. But that's how we look sometimes, spiritually speaking, because we're what? We're it's exactly yeah, we're trying to go on two separate paths, you know? We're like, well, I want to follow the Lord, but I don't really want to leave the world, you know? And we kind of have this kind of um, someone said he was this, told Matt he said it was this, a really good Mary Lou Retton impersonation, you know? He says, but you got to be able to get out on a full split, you know? But that's how, he's like, man, you know, we're stretching, stretching, stretching. You're going to have a groin pull, you know, because I can't try to get on two paths at one time. So Jesus now, coming out of this, not judging other people, thinking about other people, okay, and using the thought process of discernment, transitions it now, okay, logically, right into this next statement, okay, with, Enter by the narrow gate. Remember, he comes right now out of Matthew 7, verse 12. Okay, This is all one message. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And so he begins then talking about these two separate ways. First, there is the way of destruction. And secondly, there's going to be the way of life. Okay? What do we know about the way of destruction? First of all, its gate is what? It's wide. It's, it's not, not hard to get into it at all. Okay? And so, inclusiveness. You know, we all serve the same God. There are many ways. And remember, the, whole, the path that they're saying that you're going to be led to is um, heaven, if you would. Paradise. Utopia. Nirvana. Whatever you want to place that there, right? We refer to it as the presence of God. Okay? But the world is out there, and they're using a lot of terms for that same place. Make sense? Okay? And so, the wide gate, has many, has, it's, 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 it's wide open. It's very inclusive. Okay? It's broad. There's a whole lot of space on it. And broad is the path. There's a lot of space to the right and to the left. Liberals and conservatives, we can all agree. As long as what? Think, I, want you, I want you to think seriously on this one. Liberals and conservatives can all get together and they can all think alike as long as what? Think of our, our culture right now. Well, as long as Jesus isn't involved. You can pray. You're just not allowed to pray in Jesus' name. We don't want Jesus here. What's the point of praying? Well, you can pray to God, because we all have the same God. You're just being exclusive with your God. And so we're not, we don't believe that, you know? But we're going to talk about it, because Jesus is. Jesus is very exclusive. He's not inclusive. The end is destruction. It's eternal damnation, eternal condemnation. It's, it's, it's not something that's going to be um, pleasant in the end. 
its participants are what? Are many. It's very popular. I want you to think about how it's going on in our world today. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, because I mean, I know this is like preaching to the choir almost, right? But the fact is, if something's faddish, if something's popular, it probably is wrong. <laughs> okay? I mean, you've got to analyze it. You, you have to analyze this thing, okay? If most of the people are following it, there's probably something wrong with it. Okay? Now, I said probably. I didn't say always. Okay? So you've got to be careful. But the point is, when I look at this path of the world, the gate's wide. The path is broad. And there's a whole lot of people traveling it. If I start to see that, then I become very, very um, concerned. Thank you. Yeah, my, my antenna, yeah, my, my, the alert button's going off. Whoop, 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 okay? Be careful of being sucked into the flow, okay? That's exactly what happens. We'll talk more about that as we get into the false teachers. But we have this then way of life, beginning as well, where Jesus says that we're supposed to enter the narrow gate, verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, I want to spend a little time on this because there really is um, an eye-opening thing when you, again, parse this thing out. First of all, what do we know about it? Its gate is narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We get that, okay? But do you really believe it? I hope you do, okay? Because Jesus said it's to be true. There is no other way. He is the only way. In John 8, verse 19, 23 and 24, Jesus said, um, where, they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. He said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Do you see how he's still making this separate, this kingdom in the, in the world? You think like the world, I think like the kingdom. Because you're of the world, I'm of the kingdom. Okay? Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Note the word he is in italicies. I've talked about that in the past. It's not there in the original. Get rid of it. It says, ego me. In numerous times in John chapter 8, Jesus says, ego me. In fact, at the very end of John chapter 8, that's when, before Abraham was, I am. And it's all in capitalized, right? And the Jews take up stones to kill him. It's the exact same phraseology. Before Abraham was, ego me. Jesus says, unless you believe, ego me, unless you believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. Sounds pretty exclusive to me. You don't have to just believe that he is a God. You have to believe he is the only God. And that in him all life exists. He is Yahweh. That's what he says. And if you don't believe that, you die in your sins. Pretty exclusive. The path is agonizing. Now, I want you to think about it. It says, it's what? It's straight. Well, in Luke, in Nero, in Luke, Luke 13, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Okay? This is kind of the same, same stuff. The word for strive here is the word agonizomai. Agonize. Struggle. Fight. Fraught. Strive. Agonize. 
agonized. It's, why? Because it's, it's going to be agonizing. And I'm going to show you this in a moment, okay? And he said there's going to be people who are going to want to do this, but they're not going to have the iskuo. They're not going to have the might, the power. They're going to look at it, and they're going to see the, 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 the agonizing thing that's there, and they're going to look at it, and they're going to say what? I can't do that. I can't do it. I, I just, I, I can't do that. Jesus is going to make me what? He's going to make me give up this. He's going to make me give up that. He's going to want me to do this. And I'm going to have to go to church. And I'm going to have to do this. Now, you don't have to do all those things, right? But I had a guy once, and I met with him. He was, his fruit was ripe, man. He just wasn't coming off the tree. Do you know why? Because he knew what was going to happen after he got saved. And he didn't want it. He didn't want it. Eventually, he gave in and submitted to the Lord and got saved. Praise the Lord. But there are people who look down that path and they say, what? I don't want that path. Well, in our verse, we have, because difficult is the way. The King James and New American Standard say narrow is the way. The ESV and CEV says hard is the way. Okay? The word literally um, means to be pressed in um, on, on, on all sides. So, Two other, I gave you all the references on your sermon note sheets if you have them. The first two, Mark 3, 9 says, So he told, Jesus told his disciples, that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. That's our word. 2 Corinthians 1, 6, Now we are, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation. That's our word. That word is for difficult or hard or narrow really is the word to be crushed or pressed or afflicted. That's the path. The gate's narrow. The path is going to be agonizing. You're in a spiritual war. Jesus, this is very important to understand. And you need to tell this to people when, you, when, when you're witnessing to them. Don't hold back the truth from them. Okay? It's not a pleasurable trip, necessarily. You're looking to the end. Does that make sense? You've got to look to the end result. Jesus doesn't promise you Eden on the earth. He promises you <laughs> exact opposite. Remember, he already said, blessed are you when you, when you are what? Persecuted. When you're persecuted for my namesake. I mean, he's being straight. If you follow me, the path's going to be kind of rough. Too many times we get distraught because it's not pleasant. Because it's not smooth. It's not easy. It's the exact word I'm going to use later on. It's exactly right. We want the easy path. That's what the world wants. That's the way the world goes. God's not calls, calling us to an easy path. Are you willing to leave your job? To leave your home? I mean, I, I don't know what God's call in your life is. But God's calling your life along that path. Maybe something that's going to be, it's like, oh, I can't, no, I can't, oh, that mountain is too, whoo, Lord, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're walking that path, he's beside you. He leadeth me, oh, precious thought. He is always there with me. I just have to believe. It's all a matter of faith. That's the kingdom mindset. I have to believe. And know that God is true. The end 
is life. Life in the presence of God. It's not something that I might get. It's something that I already have. Jesus said, John 5, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, what? Has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I already have passed from death to life. I won't see condemnation. Why? Because I'm already delivered. You can't kill me. You can stop this tent again. I've shared that recently, right? You can, you can stop me from living in my tent, but you can't kill me. I live inside here. And I am living forever. 1 John 5, 11-12, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has a Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. John 17, verse 3, Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not knowing about God. It's knowing God. For years, I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about His Word. I could tell you that Jesus died on the cross. I could tell you that He was buried. I could tell you that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. I could quote the Apostles' Creed to you. I could quote the Our Father to you. But I didn't know Him. You can read an awful lot about Donald Trump or about Barack Obama or about George Bush or whatever, and you can know an awful lot about them. But I promise Michelle Obama knows Barack Obama a whole lot better than you do. She what? She knows him. You just know about him. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing him. And my, my, my challenge to you today is, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe, maybe not. Do you know him? Are you on that path? Are you on the way? Or are you looking in? So in the Knowing God series that I did numerous years ago, I start off with an illustration about the ocean. A lot of people know what an ocean is. I mean, there's not too many people you talk about with an ocean, they don't know what an ocean is. But they're living in Omaha. They've what? They've never been to the ocean. They don't know what it's like to have the, the, the salt water get into a cut. They don't know what it's like to be walking in and all of a sudden you find a ledge and whoop. They don't know what it's like to have the, 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 the riptide come across your legs and start to move you. They don't know what it feels like to have the, 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 the tide coming in and then swishing you back. The, 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 the ebb and the flow. They know about the ocean but they've never experienced the ocean. My greatest prayer is that those who have said under my teaching won't get there and find out they've only known about God. And as we're going to see at the end, God says, but I didn't know you. Do you know him? Knowing Jesus is the path of life. And he promises to be with you throughout the journey.
It's the end that we're looking at. Sadly, then, its participants are what? It's few. There's not a whole lot to say about this one, is there? Most people don't want to go on it. They don't want to be on the journey. I promise you there's a whole lot less people than you think on this journey. The participants are, are few. Why? That's because there's a lot of false teachers out there. A lot of false prophets. Now again, think of this from the Jewish man's perspective. Don't think about it from your perspective. Okay? So when Jesus talks about false prophets, who are they talking? Who are they thinking? They're thinking Jewish men. So bring the application now to the church. He's not talking about Muhammad. Do you get it? He's talking about the Joseph Smiths. He's talking about the Joel Osteens. I said his name. Okay? I could say some other names. You get it? People who are who are using the name of God to take people away from God. Wolves. 2 Corinthians 11. You can read these later, but for sake of time. 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Because I'm concerned that just as Eve was deceived in the garden, so you may very well be deceived. And someone may come in with another Jesus, or another gospel, or another spirit, and you may very well be deceived by them. Know what he says. They can come with another Jesus. They're coming in the name of Jesus with the Spirit upon them. And we say, they've got to be believers. They're going to be antichrist, False prophets. False Christs who come. They're going to use the name of Jesus, but it's not going to be my Jesus. If they don't teach according to the words of my Jesus, it's not my Jesus. Jesus Alou played baseball. We'd say his name is what? Jesus, but I promise you it wasn't my Jesus who played baseball. Get it? It's a name. I don't want to distract it, but it's a name. His name was Yeshua, Joshua, Yahashua, Jesus in Greek. People are going to come with another, another Jesus. They're going to come with another spirit. They're going to come with another gospel. Be careful. Be careful of those other gospels. I was talking to someone once who in the same conversation gave me four or five different ways to get saved. Being good, doing good works, being baptized, having an experiential moment. Somebody dear to me. I was like, wow, I cannot believe this. I mean, they were talking about how different people came to know God. And there were all these different paths. It's not true. Be careful. There are false prophets out there. Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. Moses, God speaking through Moses, says, look, false prophets are going to come. And this is how you know if it's a false prophet. And he said, because they're going to be able to do what? They're going to prophesy things. They may even come to pass. But if they're telling you to walk away from Yahweh and worshiping Yahweh, then they're what? False prophets. So it doesn't matter, like we talk about in Sunday school, right, with Jeremiah and the, and the prophet. It doesn't matter if they prophesy something and it comes to pass. 
So if Jeremiah prophesied that 70 years you're going to be in, in Babylon, but then he told him, but you need to be worshiping Moloch instead, he would be what? A false prophet. Because even if they came back in 70 years, if he told them to worship Moloch, he'd be a false prophet. Do you get it? And so those Mormon boys come to your door and they say, we have a prophet. There's still a prophet. And they're going to tell you about Joseph Smith and how he prophesied regarding the coming of the Civil War. Don't chuckle. There's, he gave some details. But his, their Jesus isn't my Jesus. Their gospel is not the gospel of the Bible. And so when they say they have a spirit, it ain't my spirit. Does that make sense? You've got to be careful. If a, if a word of a prophet comes to pass, but they're teaching you something other than what God has declared, they're false prophets. What does the Bible say? What does the writings of Moses say should be done with that false prophet? They stone him to death. <laughs> stone him to death! No, I can't, we can't do that today. Okay? <laughs> we don't like to. Anyways, we, we, yeah. But, but the reality is, that still then needs for discernment for us to realize that false prophets are really out there. They're really out there. We saw this morning in Jeremiah, not from 23, but from uh, 24 and 29, that there were false prophets that were there multiple times throughout God's word. Um, you can look at all those and just look it up. There's just, we're continually warned. Jesus said in the end times, there are going to be multiple false prophets who come. And again, they're going to be able to do wonderful works. Be alert. Know they're there. How do we know? Well, we know by their what? By their fruit. Jesus states here, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. We are called to be fruit inspectors. You get it? If I look at the tree and there's apples on the tree, then it's a what? It's an apple tree. I don't sit there and go, oh, I wonder if that's an orange tree. Huh, I wonder if that's a grapevine. I've never seen a grapevine before. I wonder if that's a grapevine. No, it's an apple tree. Because it's got an apple. It kind of makes sense. Okay. Now, maybe it has no fruit on it, but down on the ground below it, there's a bunch of apples. I can still what? Make a, a sort of a logical jump here, right? That so there's a bunch of apples below that tree. It's probably an apple tree. If there's a bunch of pecans below it, it's probably not a hickory nut. It's probably a pecan tree. Does that make sense? I mean, you know, I mean, it just does kind of make sense. So when you look at someone who is teaching, James 3, 1 says, Be not many masters, such have the greater condemnation. There are a lot of teachers that are out there, okay? When you look at the teacher, what should you be looking for to know whether to follow them or not? Not just what he's teaching. The Word of God to make sure that what he's teaching is true. Folks, look at his fruit. Look at his life. Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit, right? 
And so the, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. But the works of the flesh are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. If these things are coming out in somebody's life, then they're works of the what? The flesh. They're not fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I don't like self-control. Anyways, I joke about that. But it is. I mean, it, I mean, it's their bookends. Love and self-control. If you see these things exuding from somebody's life, then probably what? They're being led by the Spirit. But if you don't see those things being exuded from somebody's life, they're not being led by the Spirit. I think it goes beyond that as well. Not just that fruit but also who, what their, their um, followers look like. What do their followers look like and their followers act like? I grew up Lutheran, so Martin Luther is a big topic to me. Um, not always, but just in general, if you talk to me about it, I wrote a huge paper on him um, because of the fact it's very important to me. And my final comment at the end of it is, was to the fact of, so was Martin Luther a true believer or not? I don't know. Wow, that's a provocative statement, isn't it? Anyways, probably was, used by God. But here's my struggle. Do you realize that more people died at the hands of, more believers died at the hand of Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon than the Catholic Church? That's a struggle for me. When, 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 when Martin Luther had the opportunity to have his reform in Germany, and I say believers, I, I, I mean Anabaptists. Let me qualify myself again. That the Anabaptists who were, were, were ripe within um, Germany, Anna means do it again, okay? So Anabaptists, they were rebaptizers, okay? And so they were ones who recognized that their, their, their baptism as babies wasn't what God wanted, and so they got rebaptized. Martin Luther believed that initially. He recanted on it when Frederick of Augsburg said, now you're messing with the state. Okay, now I'm not necessarily to give you a history lesson here, but there was a reason why he did it. Okay? So he didn't baptize his own kids, his own boys, until Frederick of Augsburg said, no, no, now you're messing with the state. Because at that point, when you got baptized, you got baptized into the church and into the country. Okay? You became a citizen of the country at the same time. And so, so Frederick said, now you're messing with the state. You can't do that. So he recanted on that. Okay? And there were some other things that he recanted on. And so he said, do that. But then he turned around, and he began then to do the exact same thing. He began to exterminate people who believed in then being baptized again, having believers' baptism. He killed them. His follower, his next in line, was Philip Melanchthon. I know, it's a name that goes right on the tip of your tongue. Anyways, but that's who it was, Philip Melanchthon. And Philip Melanchthon went beyond it. I mean, he just... Just It was like Paul, who was Saul originally, and he was chasing him down everywhere. Ulrich Zwingli. He led the reform in Switzerland. He, he, he was teaching Greek to, um, to Conrad Grable and to Felix Mons and to, and to George Blaurock and some others. And, and through the, the, the learning of the Greek, studying the New Testament, they found out the same things, that you, you, should be, you shouldn't be worshipping Mary, 
You shouldn't be having idols. You, should, you shouldn't be baptized as babies, but you're supposed to have a believer's baptism. And they went through all these things and they found all these things out. But then the leaders of, of Zurich came to Oryx Wingley and, and, they, and they said, hey, we want you to be our, our champion of the reform as well. But in order to do that, you've got to recant on this baptism thing and you have to recant on iconoclasm. That's the worship of icons, the worship of statues. He said, oh man, I don't know. And he says, we'll support you. He says, okay, fine, I'll do it. So he went back to his own pupils and says, this is what's going to happen. They said, no, man, you showed us in the Word what it is. And so they then decided, apart from then, Ulrich Wingley, that they were going to have a baptism, and, he, and then he sought them out to kill them. He, he drowned Felix Mons in the River Mons on, um, himself. It's just a sad thing. So Ulrich Wingley, he's a what? He's a struggle for me. Because he taught them what? He taught them the truth, but then he himself did what? He went away from it. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it? You got to look at their fruit. If they're not producing righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, and the people that they're mentoring aren't seeking to live a God fearing life, then more than likely what? They're false teachers. If people are looking, I want you to think this through. Jesus said you can't serve God in what? Mammon, materialism. If their predominant teaching is teaching you to go after what? Materialism. Then they're what? They're false teachers. They're false teachers. There's nothing else you can do. If they're trying to get you to, to, to get, a, get a bigger piece of this world, I promise you, they're a false teacher. Secondly, a consideration of their judgment. This is very sad. And this is very, for you and me, we need to pay attention to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the what? The kingdom of heaven. But he who does the, the will of my Father. The will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember Jesus said, beginning of this whole thing, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law is still important. It's still showing the desires of God. The will of God. And so Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. And do you not be conformed to the world? Look at the thing, right? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed into renewing your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You follow this path, you're going to look like who? The world. You follow this path, allow God to transform you in the renewing of your mind, you're going to start following this path. And what are you going to do when you follow this path? You're going to reveal, you're going to prove, you're going to show what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't travel both paths. The condemnation of false prophets we've already seen in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, but the criteria of the salvation, that's there. 
of the, of the judgment. Now, I say criteria of salvation, but it really was a criteria of judgment, isn't it? It goes both ways. I mean, when you, you know, is someone saved when they accept Jesus or are they condemned when they reject Jesus? Yes. Make sense? Two sides of the same coin. You present them the gospel, they have a what? They got a choice. Heads or tails. Heads you, heads you accept Jesus and you're saved. Tails, you reject them and you're condemned. That's it. You have one of two choices. You can't say, well, I'll take rims. No such thing as taking a rim. It's what? Heads or tails? Heads or tails? Which one is it? Are you following them or not? Well, that's the criteria of salvation. Jesus said, I never knew you. My question to you is, do you know him? John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God. God wants to have this personal relationship with you. Personal relationship. Again, not a study, not theology, but theognosco, to know him, to know who he is. 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2.19 Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you say you're His, then you're going to walk the what? The straight path. And in the end, you don't have to worry about whether you're saved or not. Why? Because He knows you. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by nature who are not God, but now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turned again to the weak and beggarly elements, and so on and so forth? Before, you used to serve other gods. But now you turn to Jesus because you know him. Do you get it? Do you get what he says? But now, after you have known God, not known about God, you've known him. Or much rather, you are what? Known by God. How cool is that? It's not that I know him. It's that he knows me. He has chosen me. He has adopted me. He has died for me. I merely what? Accepted the gift. In accepting the gift, he has revealed himself to me and given me the privilege of knowing him. How cool is that? I didn't just go up and, and barge into the White House so I could get to know Donald. This is the Donald I know. Hey, Donald. What do you think would happen if I barge into the White House because I, so I can get to know Donald one-on-one? <laughs> I'd probably get beat up on the way of being arrested. Anyways, it wouldn't be a pleasurable moment. But you know what? God wants you to enter into his courts. Through the blood of Jesus, you can enter into the Holy of Holies in a moment, just like that. And you can fellowship with the God of the universe. And I mean it, it's like in my testimony. I mean, I don't know how many times to tell you that, that I know God has shared with me. He has spoke with me in my prayers. People look at me, oh, I don't you know, whatever. You can say whatever you want. He confirms it to me. I'm not a prophet, son of a prophet, and I'm not claiming things for the future. I'm just telling you that, that, that you can have a personal one-on-one relationship with the God of the universe. And if you're not experiencing it, you're missing a whole lot. And my prayer is that one day you don't get there thinking you got it all good. And 
God says to you, why should I let you in my heaven? And you say, well, because I, and because I, and because I, and because I, and because I. And he says, depart from me. I didn't know you. You may have known a lot about me, but I don't know you. Do you have a relationship with the God of the universe? It's exciting to watch people change. As they walk that pathway, agonizing as it is sometimes, God leads them toward life. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known of them. There is that relationship that we have with them. So in the end, who are you following? To whom do you spend the most time listening? That's the one that you're going to be following. If you're spending most of the time in the newspapers, if you're spending the most time listening to the, the guys on talk radio, those are the guys that you're going to listen to. Those are the guys you're going to follow. That's the guys you're going to think like. But if you're spending your time in God's word, in his presence, being taught by him, that's the one you're going to think like. Jesus again said, right, to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Which is more important to you, an easy life or a God-pleasing life? Too many times we want the easy life. Does your life reflect one who knows God and is known by him? What kind of fruit is being produced on the tree of your life? Where is your path leading? It's a decision to eternal consequences. I don't know if you can see this very well. That's Marcia. Anyways, little tight path going this way, big broad path going this way. Guess which one led to the, the beautiful waterfalls? The narrow path. The hard path. That's exactly right. The other one led to the river rushing through. <laughs> Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you alone are God and that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, it is not all about us. It's all about you. And so I ask, Father, that if there are any here today that, that are not your children, they don't know you, Lord, that you would reveal it to them. Convict them, Lord. Draw them to yourself that you would receive the glory, that you would receive the honor. Lord, that they would call upon your name and begin this walk with you. Lord, for those who, are, who have entered the gate, Lord, who are struggling, Lord, I pray that they would trust you, that they would focus upon you. They would, in a sense, take your hand and allow you to lead them. Father, I pray that you would be magnified in our life as an assembly as well, that together we would be focusing upon you as well, seeking to magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn.